Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. During this time of uh, stay-at-home orders and pandemic, uh, maybe you've had a little music playing around the house to get you through, or watching your favorite YouTube videos, or pulling out—I don't know—old records. If you pull out your old record player, I know my—I I think that's the thing among millennials these days to have a record player and records. But what does music actually do for the kids in your house? How do kids? learn music from a young age. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Joining us, uh, a frequent guest on the Coffee Hour, Emmy Wook, Director of Music Ministries at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Thanks for joining us, Emmy. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And also Andrew Heimlich, uh, elementary music teacher in Carmel, Indiana. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Yes, glad to be here. Thank you. So originally, uh, we were going to talk about the first steps in music program and and uh, early childhood music education with you, Emmy. Um, but that got uh, postponed, hopefully, until next year because uh, pandemic, of course. Um, but we're probably we're going to try to give parents a little bit of insight into uh, some of those techniques that they can use at home to do some some music education with their own kids. So first, uh, tell us about a little bit about the First Steps in Music program um, and, and what all of that music uh, training is about. Sure. So the First Steps in Music program is a curriculum that was developed by Dr. John Feyerabend, um, and it's a program that helps uh, children to become tuneful, beatful, and artful. And at Redeemer, we have been offering these classes in our community for many years now. And so, yeah, this summer we had hired uh, Andrew Heimlich to come and teach because you can teach these classes to um, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, and a caregiver, or many teachers use it in a school setting. But then also there are teacher trainers who come and teach other teachers how to use this curriculum effectively. And so we had scheduled to have Andrew come this summer and had about 25 Lutheran teachers coming to be trained to, to use this curriculum. And then, of course, COVID hit. And so we postponed that until hopefully next summer. <laughs> Okay, you 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 fired off some <laughs> words there very quickly, and I started making notes very quickly because they caught my attention um, in, in terms of the the philosophy of this program, wanting children to to be tuneful, beatful, and artful. Is that right? Yes, those are the three words that Dr. Feyerabend uses all the time in connection to this curriculum. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> A little Lutheran question. Um, <laughs> um, so I don't know. Maybe Andrew wants to answer this because he's the teacher trainer who is going to teach all of us this summer what those <laughs> words meant. <laughs> yeah, happy to do so. Um, so when you think about music education or just music in general, you know, one of the main things that we do when we're making music and when you think of how a melody is constructed, it has pitch and it has rhythm. So the tuneful part is that we want students to be comfortable with their singing voices. And not only when they're with us at a young age, but the hope is that when they're an adult, they're going to be comfortable singing the Star Spangled Banner at a, an event or singing Happy Birthday at a party or able to sing lullabies to their children. 
So even though we're working with children at a young age, we're thinking down the road. We like to use the phrase, the 30-year plan. You know, what is, what is this person going to be like when they're 30 years old? So that's tuneful, being able to think tunes and be able to perform tunes um, in, a, in a musical way. Beatful is kind of a weird word because it's not something you find in the dictionary. Um, a lot of times people think it's a typo and think it's supposed to be beautiful. But it kind of goes along with being tuneful. If you're able to hold tunes and be able to perform tunes, the same thing is here is that are you able to think and feel rhythmic music? So are you able to clap on the beat when you're at a sporting event? Are you able to move your body to do dancing at prom or at your wedding? Are you comfortably moving your body um, in um, rhythmic ways? And we talk about it specifically in beats of groups of twos and threes because music is in meter, two, four, six, eight, and so forth. So we're always expressing our body in the classroom where the children are feeling beats in groups. And the last part is artful, the uh, aesthetic, the expressiveness that we have in music. Uh, we as humans are able to get below the surface, think in that deep, whoa, wow way when we see art or when we have that, especially like with worship music, that feeling of the power of music. And so we want to allow children to have that, doesn't matter what style of music, but still having that artfulness in their music making, not just learning the, I guess it'd be kind of like with poetry. You know, you're reading the words, you're understanding the grammar, but it's the essence of what the poem is trying to say and the feeling. So that's, in a nutshell, is what Tune Floor for Beatful is. That is just beautiful. And having a child, I can see now how some of the things we've been doing, thanks to Emmy, um, have, <laughs> have been really helpful in uh, our son learning some of those things. And and just reflecting on my own childhood too, uh, some of the places where music played an important part in my life as a child, um, seeing how that's been helpful, how it's impacted what I do as a parent, the, the very thing that you were talking about, you know, being able to, to be tuneful so that you can sing lullabies to your child at night, th those types of things. And, and one thing came to mind when you were talking about beatful and, and music being written in meter and talking about you know, in, in two and four. And there are occasionally those pieces written in five and those people should just be punished for writing things in five because it's so hey, unnatural and impossible to I love to five, sing. four. It's impossible. Uh, Oh, goodness. Okay. So why, why is music an important thing for children to be immersed in as they're developing throughout each stage of development? Why is it important for that, for music to be an important part of that, that whole process of development? Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and continue. So, I mean, if you think all the way back to the Greeks, they realized the importance of music and art in general, but specifically music in the uh, care of a human being. It's just part of our nature. Uh, it doesn't matter what uh, nation or cultural group, all through history, music has been part of what we are as humans. So that should continue today with having that part of being a human. Um, there are some different theories uh, called uh, you know, different music or uh, intelligence. So you have the math intelligence and you have the language arts and you have the kinesthetic and music is part of that. And everyone has music smarts to some degree. And so we as music educators, we're trying to pull that either out or up in their ability uh, so that they would be a well-rounded human being. And when you're doing music, especially with text, 
there's so many other things happening in the brain when you're connecting you know the feeling of the beat and the melodic contour and with the text and the expressiveness and then doing something as a community they're just there's, there's all these connections happening synaptically in the brain but just as a human being when you're making music alone or with others so of course i'm a music teacher so i think it's important but i think most people would agree that music is a part of their lives in some way and so we want to make sure that the when we're working with children at a young age, that we're giving them opportunities to have those experiences in a very healthy way so that they can hopefully grow in those experiences as they grow into adulthood. So how much, uh, you mentioned infants, uh, how, how much music can, a, can an infant or a very, very small child uh, actually grasp and learn? More than the parents realize, I would have to say, um, having taught infants and toddlers, one of the great joys I experienced in the classroom was just the look of shock and surprise, but also delight in parents seeing their children very, very young being so expressive and musical. Um, even before children learn to speak or sing, they can be incredibly musical um, through their movements, um, through their facial expressions in response to music keeping steady beat on a drum or um, somewhere on their body. And even if um, for children who are very, very young, even if there's not necessarily an outward measure of music growth, uh, music is like a language. And so the more they are exposed to it, the more they pick it up and understand it. And um, I can think of, of examples, and perhaps Andrew can too, where I've even seen children who are seemingly unengaged with the music. And then one day they come in singing full songs. And so even if there's not necessarily an outward measure, that, that development, that, that musical learning is occurring. I can attest what are to some that. Of the... <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted, but I can attest to that. Not knowing that my son was learning a melody because there's no outward demonstration of that. And then the next time he hears a song, he sings along with the melody perfectly. I'm like, how did you know that? You have never demonstrated that before at all. So sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I've seen this in my in my nieces and nephews as well. Uh, they're they're very very small, uh, but they're exposed to music all the time because of their their church traditions and and their parents are both very musical, so they sing at home with them. And it's all a cappella, but uh, they are on pitch and they are singing in rhythm. Uh, even the youngest, you know, at a year old, she is she's humming right along with. Uh, the the music and the and the rhythm and it's it's it is a very uh, impressive thing to watch uh, young children be able to to do all these things that we don't quite think that they might be able to do but they definitely are. <laughs> so if if parents aren't musicians themselves, uh, are there still ways that that they can teach or model uh, these concepts to their children? Uh, I would say it's more challenging. Um, you know, if you're not an artist, are you able to teach your children how to draw and paint? So mm -hmm. I think you could definitely guide them to either uh, institutions or to people who are more able to uh, have those successes and be able to teach those things. Um, but it doesn't mean that a parent who necessarily doesn't have a lot of the background can't be musical at home and encourage that in the house. And so... I think it's helpful to have classes like what Emmy was saying, where a parent comes with their infant, 
because obviously, really, honestly, those classes are more for the parent than they are for the child. Because <laughs> the hope is that the, the parent then will go home and do those activities and songs with their child at home. And so those young uh, infant classes, now when the child gets older, normally the child is coming alone and experiences uh, by themselves. But in those infant times, the whole point is to bond the parent and the child and making music together. Uh, so yes, I think that even though a parent, and I've had that conversation a lot with parents, like, well, I'm not very musical. I don't know where my child gets it. Well, you know, it, there's there's got to be some nurture, or excuse me, nature there. There's got to be some genetics <laughs> that they have the desire to be able to sing in tune and be able to keep with the beat. Maybe just for you as an adult, you've never had the chance to really let that grow when you were a child. Um, so I, I do think that there's a, a possibility that parents can help make that happen. But sometimes it might be good to look outside of what you would do at home to make sure that what is being presented is done in a child appropriate way. We have, uh, we have just scraped the surface, I feel like. Uh, are both of you able to stick around for another segment so we can talk a little bit more about this? Sure can. Works for me. Fantastic. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. We'll be right back to talk about uh, more teaching music to little children. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. So we're talking about uh, something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, I think. Uh, music education and music in the home and singing and uh, being, what is it, tuneful, beatful, and artful with music. Uh, pulling that from first steps in music. We have Andrew Heimlich and Emmy Wook joining us to talk about uh, teaching music to little kids. Before the break, we were talking about um, how, how much kids can learn uh, musically and we want to give parents a little bit of a boost in this, especially while we're all at home. Things that we can, um, things that we can do to encourage our children to be musical. So, first of all, um, what what typically goes on in a first steps in music class uh, to help give parents and and eventually kids uh, these these tools to be able to be musical for their the rest of their lives? Well, if you start with infants and toddlers, the experiences they're going to be having are interactions between they and their parents. So you're going to be doing things like tickles and wiggles and finger plays and bounces and, of course, lullabies. And so it's, you know, the things that you would thought growing up, you know, this little piggy went to market and patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. You're, you're singing songs and doing activities where there's a lot of interaction with the child as you're holding them because they're an infant. They're young. 
Um, as the child gets older and they're in their threes and their fours, then you're going to be doing things where you're going to invite the child to be able to sing songs on their own. And you're doing um, what we call fragment singing. So they're echo singing patterns back and forth and where they're singing their own. But then you're also doing a lot of movement games, you know, songs that have movements to them or to the point where they're learning even simple, simple uh, circle games. Obviously, you need more people to do that. And of course, by the time the children are four or five years old, they're used to having that was kind of social connections. So it grows and it um, moves uh, to a, an appropriate level when the child gets older. But again, it's still focused on that tuneful, beautiful, artful. So it doesn't matter if they're infants or if they're four or five or all the way up to fifth grade. Those are the type of things that we're trying to experience. So it sounds like teaching children music, teaching them about music and teaching them music and these first steps doesn't necessarily have to be a designated time. Now we're going to sit down and we're going to practice music <laughs> at home. But these can be things that um, when you have teachable moments in the car is what it sounds like to me. They, they could happen anytime. They don't necessarily have to be like, oh, we're sitting down to do a lesson now. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, for my own family, uh, scripture would be used. And a lot of times learning scripture was easy by putting a melody to it. And sometimes I might just make up my own little melody to help my kids remember a scripture verse or a reference. So, yeah. And uh, part of the first steps uh, material, especially when you get to the age of about three or four, is a thing that we call Orioso, which is where we encourage the children to improvise and make up their own songs. Well, as a parent, if you wanted to model that, you know, you're making dinner and you just start singing. So what are we going to have for dinner tonight? What do you like to eat? And you just start singing spontaneously about whatever it is that you're doing at that moment. And if you model that to your child, boy, you know, they might think that is kind of cool. And they, But a lot of children, especially at the young ages, you might notice that they just start making their own songs no matter what. And so possibly that that's a, that's a way where it could become spontaneous or a great piece of music comes on and you want to get up and dance. Things like that. Definitely. That just I've happened. Also, oh, go ahead, Amy. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I've also found, um, and, and from hearing from parents who have attended my classes, that they have appreciated having a repertoire of songs and finger plays in their back pocket. Um, they found these things very useful when on. Um, a long plane ride or waiting in a doctor's office or, you know, when the child starts to get a little fussy, having those things to be able to just pull out and engage with their child is really a helpful tool for parents to have. Hmm. I, just a, a few nights ago, uh, we usually include the, the Ten Commandments and the Creed in our bedtime prayers. And uh, going through the Ten Commandments, my son just started making up melodies and singing <laughs> the Ten Commandments the other night. Not prompted by me or or, or my wife. It was just... <laughs> just started singing them, which I thought was pretty awesome. I mean, more ideas on um, keeping kids engaged with the with musical concepts, especially during this time where um, parents are now, well, during the, this, what, the end of the school year, many parents were um, the, the primary educators at home um, with some partnership from schools. Um, more tips for us as parents, uh, whether they're, they're young children, infants, or, or, or older? Um, one thing I would say is to include some kind of music in family devotions. You know, music is important for all the reasons we've already discussed, but of course, music plays a huge role um, in the Lutheran Church and our, our, our service has so much music in it and, and music is important. Uh, we're, we're singing our faith. And 
I, I don't know about you, but for me during this time when I wasn't able to physically go to church because it was closed or in these uncertain times or when I was feeling anxious, to be able to sing a hymn always made me feel better. And so I think it's important to um, teach the children the the rich heritage of music that we have, including hymns. And singing a hymn as part of family devotions is a great way to get music in the home while also teaching the faith. Uh, CPH, of course, has the My First Hymnal, which is a great resource. And there's a CD set that goes along with that. I believe you can also find it on Amazon Music, the, the recordings of those. And so if a parent wasn't confident in, in singing a hymn independently, they could use that recording uh, to help them learn it better, to, to learn it as a family. Uh, and maybe maybe it's a, it's a good family challenge to, to choose a hymn and say, we're going to learn this hymn this week, or, or better yet, we're going to commit to memory verse one of I am Jesus' little lamb, so that when my child's feeling uncertain, they have the comfort and promise um, to fall back on and, and to sing those words and I am all for putting as many hymns into the memory of children as we can, because that is something that will be with them for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, and now CPH has the new uh, the new hymnal for kids, uh, One and All Rejoice, which is maybe a step up from my first hymnal. But my first hymnal is also such a great resource to use with kiddos, uh, to use at bedtime, even to to sing those hymns um, as, as a, a bedtime song with them. Uh, are there, are there other ways to incorporate, um, liturgy or maybe some of the, the hymns in our hymnal? If, if a parent doesn't have a, my first hymnal, are there some easier hymns to start with? I would say talk to your music director, you know, or your Sunday school director. If there are hymns that they've already been working on in Sunday school or Mm. in, in preschool, that would be something that would be familiar to the child already. Or, you know, talk to the music director. I've had parents talk to me before and ask me, you know, what are, what are some good hymns to start with in our family devotions? Or what are some good hymns uh, to, to introduce children to? And so I would, I would encourage you to talk to your child's teacher or the music director. Um, another great resource, of course, Gloria puts out all of those wonderful illustrated mm-hmm. hymns. And mm-hmm. many of those you can listen to. And so that would be another uh, option. If you're not sure where to start, choose one of these books. They're beautiful, beautiful books. And um, it's a it's a, it's a great way to get started if you're not sure, because yeah, I know Sarah and I joke back and forth, you know, what's your favorite hymn? Well, you know, what's my favorite 100? I still don't know that that would be enough to choose. Um, so, you know, so many in the hymnal, how do you choose? So perhaps you talk um, and find something familiar or you or you choose one of these books um, that you know, are very, very child-friendly and, and you start there. Mm-hmm. As, as a parent who, uh, I adopted my first hymnal even before our son was born as a parish DCE at that time as mm-hmm. well. And we uh, gifted those to all the young families in our congregation who had children, kindergarten, I think, or even preschool and older, uh, we gifted them. We, we had a service, a special blessing for all the hymnals and then gifted them to the parents in the family to start using those in their homes. And it was just fantastic. So I was super excited that we had one when our son came along. And I think it was around age two, he started learning uh, the King of Love My Shepherd is. And mm. he loves it. Um, he, I don't think he knows it by name. I think he identifies it by the picture in the book. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's now six. And I think he still re- refers to it as the sheep hymn, I think. Um, 
<laughs> but it's uh, it's just it's a fantastic tool. I love uh, using it. I, and tool isn't the right word. Um, it's just become a real treasure in our family in terms of uh, teaching hymns and and, uh, and parts of the liturgy as well. It's just been a great resource, so much so that we have some of it memorized. We don't even have to open it now, but um, he loves the artwork in it too. Uh, just about a minute left. Um, anything else that, that you want us to take away from this since since the, the uh, workshop couldn't happen this summer? Hopefully postponed till next summer. Anything else, uh, Emmy, that you want us to take away from this? Um, just sing with your kids and, and find ways to surround them with music. And, you know, if you're not comfortable singing, put on, um, like I said, there's all kinds of recordings of hymns or find classical music or, you know, there are so many ways that you can include music. I think the attitude that a parent has towards music um, is hugely influential on the child's attitude towards music. So just be excited and enjoy the gift that is music that the Lord has blessed us with. Amen to that. Uh, th- <laughs> this is such a, a great topic, and hopefully parents will, uh, will keep singing with their kids. Uh, Emmy and Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today on The Coffee Hour. Thank you for letting me be here. Thanks for letting us be here. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Eddie Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.